Let's turn to the word of the Lord together. I'd like to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse 16. If you have your Bibles there, it'd be great to follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the opportunity today to to speak and to encourage one another. May we not regard Christ just as a man, but as God who has come to us. Bring us into a relationship with you that we might call others to this knowledge that we have of a God who loves, of a God who heals, of a God who restores, and a God who saves. Open our hearts, speak through my words, draw us Closer together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, by permission, I tell you this story. In the first year of my marriage, I knew that things were okay between me and my wife when our feet touched below the covers. You know, in the first year of marriage, you're just trying to work each other out. There's a lot to learn. You think you know each other. But living together, that's something else. And so there were nights where we'd go to bed, be under the covers, and I wouldn't be quite sure how things were going between us. And so I would sort of reach out with my foot, and if it touched Alison's foot, I would know that things are okay. (laughs) Well, I was telling this story to a friend of mine. I got married about 12 months before he did. And I was talking to him about, you know, the wisdom that I'd learnt about relationships and, and these, you know, non-verbal cues that would, uh, would just gain reassurance and understanding between me and my wife. And, uh, and I don't know whether it was advice I was giving him, but I think I was a little bit proud of this new insight that I'd gained into our relationship. <laughs> Alison was listening on. <laughs> and she, like, said, What? <laughs> What are you talking about? And it was at that moment that I realised that even when you think you know what's going on in a relationship, often you don't. 
And as I asked Alison's permission to, you know, once again put our relationship in the spotlight, I said to her, I'm going to tell that story about our feet, you know, under the covers. And she was like, what? <laughs> you know, anyway. So in case you're talking to her after the service and you say, Luke told us that story and she goes, what? Well, she knows a little bit of what I'm talking about. I haven't made it up. It's true. Relationships involve two or more people. It's groundbreaking, isn't it? <laughs> but sometimes we forget that. We think that a relationship is just how I relate to someone and how I respond to the way that they're relating to me. But it's not just that. A relationship is how I relate to someone, how I respond to how they relate to me, and how they relate to me and how they respond to the way that I'm relating to them. It's complicated. Today we're looking at reconciliation, how two parties work together to come together. We're going to look at what we learn from, from the passage as we've read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and see that this is a, a story that God is wanting us to understand from a perspective of our relationship with God and his relationship to us, in order that we might be restored to, to who God has created us to be. But not just that we might be restored in relationship with God, but that that relationship would begin to be changing the way that we relate to each other. It's the ministry of reconciliation. We read from verse 16, from now on therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. He's not just talking about feet touching below the covers. He's saying that so often we relate to each other just person to person in the everyday matters. How they respond to me and, and how I respond to them. But Paul's saying that it goes deeper than that. For we used to regard Jesus just according to the flesh. We used to just regard him as, a, as another man walking around. And he was a good man and, and we loved the things that he said and he did. But he's so much more than that. We regard him thus no longer. For we recognize that he was not just a good teacher. That he was the son of God who came to give his life for us. Because verse 16 says from now on, therefore, let's just go back a few verses to get the full meaning of that. Verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's unpack that just a little bit. He says, we have died to our old life because Christ died for us. Therefore, we no longer live for ourselves. We let the work of Jesus guide how we live. He's saying what we know about Jesus has changed what we know about ourselves. We're now not just living for ourselves. We're living for Christ. The gospel has changed us. Because when Jesus died, he was dying for me. He was taking upon himself the punishment that I deserved. It changes now the way I live. That life I was living, I'm now dead to it. 
It holds no power over me anymore. I want to be different because the life that I was living was leading to death and now Christ has died that death for me. So now I'm living a new life, motivated by the gospel. And if Jesus has met this, my greatest of all needs, well, then I can entrust him to meet my daily needs. If he's gone to that extent so that that I might come into a relationship with God, there is nothing that he wouldn't do for me. And so I no longer have to live seeking to have my needs met. I can live with the freedom of of somebody else meeting those needs for me. It's part of the beauty of a marriage relationship where you say to one another uh, as covenant before the altar and before God, you say, I'm now no longer going to live for my own needs. I'm going to live to meet yours. And the beautiful thing is that you are saying exactly the same thing. That you're no longer going to live simply for your own needs. You're going to live for me. What a wonderful thing to have someone say that they are going to lay down their life so that my needs would be met. And I don't just receive that. That's something that I give. Because there's someone looking after my needs, I don't have to hang on to them anymore. I don't have to seek after them. That's somebody else's responsibility. It frees me up just to live for them. That's what Jesus is doing. We can lay down our needs because he is meeting them. And then we can begin to love people as Jesus loves them. Who left the glories of heaven. Who left behind any uh, authority that he might have to say to people, you should worship me, you should serve me. Instead, he comes and he serves his disciples. And says, you want to know what it means to, to live as my disciples? Here, I'll give you an example. The Last Supper takes off his outer robe, puts a garment around his waist and begins to wash his disciples' feet. He says, let me serve you as a slave. And I want you to love people as I love you. Returning back to the passage, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God is doing this that we might come into a relationship with him. Leave the old, take on the new. Now reconciliation, some of you might know more as an accounting term. It's squaring the ledger, but not in a false kind of a way. Sort of getting to the end of the month and going, well, here's the income, here's the outgoing, but the bank statement doesn't look like my budgeted spending for the month. Why is that? Well, maybe I've I've received some checks that haven't been cleared yet. Maybe I've made some online transaction and they've still got this uh, mentality that it takes a, a while for the money to move from one account to another. It doesn't, does it? Someone's just making some interest on it there. I don't know how they get away with it. But you get to the end of the month, and in order for one statement to look like the other, you just sort of put down the bottom. There are some transactions that have taken place that are yet to be completely resolved. Or we think about reconciling just as a relational term. The restoring of friendly relations between two people. Settling a quarrel. Showing compatibility saying these two people now agree with each other. 
these two people are able to get along. When the Bible speaks to us about being reconciled to God, I think it means both of these things. That there's an inconsistency in our ledger between us and God. There are debts that we have racked up against God that, that are, well, we haven't got any ability to pay. But God says, I'm paying them. Actually, I've paid them already. I've sent my son, Jesus, and, and he has died on the cross for you. That that, that penalty, that, that debt against me would be taken away. I am reconciling you to me. If you accept Christ's sacrifice for you, that debt is paid. So that rather than there being an ongoing hostility between you and me as to who is the Lord of your life and who are you worshipping and who are you being obedient to, we might actually come to a point where you recognise that while there has been hostility between us, now actually you've realised that it's a delight to serve me. We can come into a relationship, we can settle the quarrel, we can have compatibility together once again. That's what God is making possible. Something that was impossible for us, God is doing for us, reconciling us to him. For us, I believe, to experience any true reconciliation in relationships person to person, we need to come to an understanding of, of this sort of reconciliation where the person that has been had wrong done against them is willing to let go of all legal privilege, let go of all right and, and make the effort to bring us to forgiveness, to bring us to reconciliation. We talked about that in part last week. Today we're going to continue to talk about re- uh, forgiveness but but in a whole sense of what it means. When God talks about reconciliation here, it's worth looking at what God has begun to do even in the Old Testament. And I mentioned last week that that a great example of that is Hosea and Gomer. Uh, Let's look at that story just a little bit. Um, I'm going to read from Hosea chapter 6, but... Uh, just to put you in the context of what's happening here. Isaiah is a prophet of God. And, uh, and often what God would ask his prophets to do was something that was a little bit out there, a little bit strange. For some people it was burying their undies in the dirt and others it was lying on, lying on their side for many days and then turning over and laying on their, taking sticks and breaking them and living out in the wilderness. And there were certain things that people could see that the prophets were doing that were a bit strange that would then be an example to the prophet and to the people of what God was trying to say through them. For Hosea, it was this. He was to take a woman of worldly renown, a prostitute, and take her and marry her and begin a a relationship of, of faithfulness a God-honouring union of of husband and wife, only to find that this woman of promiscuity would continue in that unfaithfulness. She leaves her husband and goes back to her old life of prostitution. And you would think at that moment, that's it. 
He's going to have nothing else to do with her. But God says, Hosea, I want you to go back and I want you to buy your wife. I want you to, to pay the pimp, release her from her bondage and take her once again to be your wife. You think, really? And God is saying to Hosea, I want you to act like I act because Israel is acting the way that your wife is acting. And I want Israel to see the extent of their depravity and the extent of my love for them. And so we read in, in chapter 6 uh, these words. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. That we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He's going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the sowers, as the spring rains that, that sorry, he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God is speaking about his, his desire to be faithful to Israel, but how while God comes like showers that, that water the, the ground, Israel is, is like that which just dries them up and brings death. But God is speaking to his people through his prophets because they think, while ever we act in sin, it's okay if we come before God with the sacrifices he requires of us. And God says, um, it's not about sacrifices. It's not about seeking to do good. It's not about squaring the ledger on your part. It's what I want to do for you. And we read about it as we, as we go through Hosea. Let me summarize it through these verses. Hosea 10 verse 12. Plough your fields, scatter seeds of justice, and harvest faithfulness. Worship me, the Lord, and I will send my saving power down like rain. Chapter 12, verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. And at the end, 14, verse 9. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. You see, while Israel had delighted in unfaithfulness, God is acting to bring her back to himself. What God has promised so many years before, he has begun to deliver through his son. He shows the extent of his love to Israel by promising that, that though they continuing in such disobedience against him he has this plan to show them his love by doing for them what they could never do for themselves and you might be sitting here today thinking ah yes but if you knew the way that i've rebelled against god if you knew that that i knew him once but turned my back on him you would know that god could never forgive me 
that we could never be reconciled. Might be okay for the good people sitting next to me, but not for me. God says through disobedient Israel, though your sins are against you, look, I am acting for your favour. I want to bring healing. I want to bring forgiveness. I want to bring restoration. I want to reconcile you to myself. And in Christ, he accomplishes that. You might know from Matthew 5 that Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Not a dot, not an iota is, is going to pass from the, the, the law and, until the new heaven and the new earth have come, until all things are completed. Jesus in part is, is looking back on these things saying, these things haven't passed away, these things are being fulfilled. And he looks back on some of the, the laws like, love your wives. Do not murder, do not kill. And he says, those things you must continue to do. Actually, we know through the Beatitudes, he says, while it's right that you should not murder, let me say to you, anyone who looks at his brother with hatred in his heart has, has murdered him. He's, he's in danger of the fires of hell. Anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his eyes, he's committed adultery with her already. You want to look at the Old Testament laws as a standard for righteousness? Well, let me tell you, this is my standard of righteousness. This is what I've come to fulfill. You thought the old standard was impossible? It was only pointing to me. Let me tell you what the righteousness of God demands. But let me tell you that while this is the righteousness that God is calling for, this is the righteousness that I give to you as you come to me. I am accomplishing this for you. What was impossible for you is, is possible through Christ. We haven't got it here at the moment, but if you can imagine the picture of a cross, the vertical showing that God has come in order to restore relationship between God and man and man and God. But the cross piece showing that God is not just wanting to restore that vertical relationship, but he's wanting to restore this relationship horizontally between you and me, between brother and brother, sister and sister, husband and wife, wife and husband. He's calling us to righteousness because of the righteousness that he's made possible between us and God. Reconciliation begins with a very simple word that's very hard to say. Sorry. It's true in the reconciliation that God offers to us. He's done everything possible that we might be forgiven. But what does he require of us? Repentance, a turning to God and saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I've turned against you. I'm sorry that I've been pursuing gods of my own making. I'm sorry that I've been saying that, that it's enough in myself that I can be good. I'm sorry that I've set a standard lower than your standard for me. 
and sought to meet that. I'm sorry that I haven't met the standard that you have placed for me. That allows forgiveness. When it comes to our relationships with each other, reconciliation also begins with, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I have done. I'm sorry for what I've said. I'm sorry I'm putting my own needs above your needs. I'm sorry that I'm even seeing these matters of our relationship just from my perspective. The difference I see between forgiveness and reconciliation is that reconciliation means not just receive it is is not just offering forgiveness but receiving it let me try and explain that we might be in conflict with each other and i might say to you i forgive you for the things wrong things that you've done against me and i might think that in that we come to an agreement But what I'm failing to see there is the things that I have done wrong to you. Reconciliation begins with, I'm sorry. It's recognising that there are things that I have done that need forgiving. Not just things that you have done that require me to forgive. As I come into our, our difficulty with an attitude that I have done wrong, and I need your forgiveness. I begin with I'm sorry. There's probably things that I have done that I haven't even realised I've done. There's possibly things that I have done even with good intentions that haven't had the resulted, the effect that I, I hoped that they would. Are there things that I've done acting out my love for you that have actually shown that I have disrespected you or that I have not loved you? Show me what those things are. Reveal them to me. Because I need to be sorry for those things as well. I need to share your sorrow. Essentially is what the word sorry means. And as you share with me your sorrow, I can feel sorry. I can ask for forgiveness And know that that's what's going to bring healing to our relationship. And hopefully you'll do the same for me. Seek to understand my hurt. Seek to express it so that I might know that that as I'm forgiving you, there is an intention on your part not to continue in that way. Or an uneducated, um, you know, uh, not intention, but... Uh, unless, unless I know you understand the things that you've done to hurt me well then you might continue to hurt me without knowing it or without intending it and I might just continue going oh well she said she was sorry but now she's continuing she, she clearly wasn't sorry understanding helps that sorrow to be shared and forgiveness then also to be shared that's reconciliation Verse 20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ, 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, for he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Reconciliation begins with us and God. But verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What's he saying? That it's not just enough that we would know what reconciliation between us and God is, but that God is calling us to be the ambassadors of that, that we might help others understand what reconciliation is. The best way that we will do that is if we are able to show through our lives that we understand reconciliation. If we show what it means to acknowledge our sin, to share with one another's sorrow, and to seek forgiveness. Then in the strength of those relationships, and with the knowledge that God has done everything possible, that we might come into a relationship with him, we can speak to people of what God has done for them. He wanted to identify with your sin, and so he came to earth. He wanted to take the punishment of your sin, so he died on the cross. The extent of God's love is that he would serve you who rejected serving him, that you might come to an understanding that God loves you to death. And I want to love you to death. I want to lay down all of my needs and put you before me. We could talk about restoration, but I don't think we will at the moment. But just a few comments on it. We often think that forgiveness automatically means restoration. And as we've looked out from last week to this, it doesn't always mean reconciliation. But even as we reconcile to one another, even as we square the ledger, things like trust don't necessarily get solved overnight. Where there's been a breach of trust, sometimes trust can take time. Where there is hurt, forgiveness is the beginning of that. Reconciliation and understanding can be the beginning of that healing, but healing can take time. And sometimes the nature of a relationship is broken where sin is committed, where understanding doesn't come, where reconciliation resolves past difficulties but doesn't speak uh, to to future, well, a future that looks like the past. Human relationships are complicated because difficulties arise on both parts. But when we speak of our relationship with God, the wonderful thing is that God has never sinned against us. He has never failed us. He has never broken that relationship himself. But he calls us to himself that we might understand his love, know forgiveness, and receive all that he has for us. As he restores him to himself, us to himself, he begins that ministry of reconciliation and restoration one to another.
We began our service with a, a scribe asking Jesus, what is the greatest of all commandments? And heard Jesus answer, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. I think only as we understand the love that God has for us can we begin to let others love us the way God does and begin to love others as God loves them. Let's hold true to this, this command. Let's seek to be obedient to it, but recognize that this standard is only one that we can meet as Christ fulfills his work in us. Let's submit our, our will to his. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we sit here before you as people who need healing. We need you to heal our relationship between us and you. And we need you to heal our relationships one to another. Lord, fill us with an understanding of your love for us. A love that goes beyond all bounds. A love that, that lets us give up our own needs, even to give up our own lives in this ministry of reconciliation. Lord, in our relationships, help us to, to let go of, of those things that we feel are our right. Help us to let go of past hurts, to bring healing to those areas that we might forgive. Lord, give us understanding that we would be reconciled one to another. That as we speak of others, of, to others of the reconciliation of God, that, that they would see that we understand, see that we know, for we love our brothers and sisters as we love Christ himself. Lord, we pray this not just for ourselves, but that this ministry that you've given to us of reconciliation would not be hindered, but that those that you love, that you have died for, that you are calling to yourself, would understand the breadth of your forgiveness and your love to them. Help us to lay down our lives and live for you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.